0: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. We're here for another week. Uh, well, this will be a short edition this week. There'll be people saying, thank God for that. But uh, the reason being, of course, that we're knee deep already into the Northern Ireland Open. As I record this, it's underway and uh, it's all there for you on various platforms. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a big week of snooker. Always, uh, always well supported at the Waterfront Hall in Belfast. I was uh, t- turned on at 10 o'clock on the day one Sunday as we record this and there's a nice crowd in already. So that tells you it's going to be uh, well supported and I'm sure a great event. So we're going to get to the email shortly, but so just three things to flag up before that. Number one, uh, Seventh Heaven. Now this is the uh, documentary on Eurosport and Discovery Plus with Ronnie O'Sullivan looking back at his career and, of course, reflecting on the uh, the, the recent Seventh World Title. Al McManus went to see him at Epping Forest in Essex, and they went to his mother's house, and then they went to the Crucible for the second half. Um, as well, and uh, it's a terrific, uh, it's two two hours, two one-hour documentaries, Um, I mean, obviously cards on the table, I commentate for Eurosport, but I'm not flagging it up because of that, I genuinely thought it was really good, my friend uh, Rob Bevan produced it, cards on the table and all that, but anyway, um, I thought he did a great job, I thought Alan did a great job, and Ronnie, when he's in the right mood, and and he clearly was, he's such an engaging talker, I mean, there's no one better, actually, Um, it all pours out of him, and that charm and that kind of all that history, you know. And it's interesting the things he says. One of the things he says was, you know, people say I wouldn't change anything in my life. He said actually, there's loads of things I'd change. I thought it was really, I thought he was, he spoke really well. It was really interesting. And no matter what else he says, you know, his life is steeped in snooker. There's, you've seen him go around his mother's house, all the, the trinkets and trophies that he's won over the years. His whole career is there in, in the cupboard. She, she's kept it all as a proud mother would do. Um, so a terrific, uh, terrific um, program, and uh, of course there is later the Netflix documentary which will be out, I think, at some point before the next World Championship. That'll be very different because they're following him round, and that's very sort of that's a very sort of present tense program where it's all about what's happening in the moments they're filming him. This is more reflective; it's him looking back. And uh, I thought it was really good, and I would recommend it to anyone. It's on it's on Discovery Plus uh, on catch up, um, and I'm sure it'll be round on Eurosport again. Uh, several times. Um, so check that out. Uh, Mark Allen. Now, uh, so the way journalism works these days, if you say one thing to one outlet, everyone else picks up on it. So I think he said this initially to BBC Northern Ireland, and it got picked up by other newspapers and outlets. But he was saying about, because he was declared bankrupt, and he was saying about uh, how it happened. And the reason I raised this article is because he said in the article it is my fault I spend too much money, <laughs> which I thought was typical Mark Allen, brutally honest, you know, not pulling any punches, just saying how it is. Um, the reason I raise it is because there are people around snooker who always seem to want to blame the sport if the players are struggling, and of course some players. Are struggling because you know the, the the sort of rewards in the position where they're in in the ranking list are not great. But other players have gone skint because they've been irresponsible. And Mark Allen held his hands up and said, "Yeah, I was just spending money like it was sort of going out of fashion. No one to blame but myself." He said that, and I and I, I credit him for being honest. I was speaking to a player, well, I can't remember when it was now, in the, in the last year, and he was complaining about that the prize money in the game, and he said, "You know, I can't afford to live like this, and I looked at his earnings, and he didn't." 80, 90 grand that season Which to most people listening to this Myself included is a lot of money And I sort of said well you know you're doing alright I think And he said oh yeah but I've got an expensive lifestyle Well <laughs> that's not Snooker's problem <laughs> That's your problem uh, Anyway so Mark Allen Credit to him for actually sort of being upfront about that And uh, the third thing before we get to the emails uh, Stephen Hallworth Did an interview with Phil Haig in the Metro Another really good piece By Phil who uh, you know writes so many of these interesting stories about, often about sort of players who would maybe fall through the sort of media cracks. Otherwise, Stephen not on the tour now, but he's talking about the kind of breakdown he had, or the, the, certainly the, the, the mental health issues that he's had. Um, didn't get back onto the Q school. He said he was in the gym, and he went to the change room and broke down in tears. You know, very sort of upsetting to read. Um, Stephen is such a good guy I've worked with him a lot On the Championship League And very good player Of course He got to the last 16 Recently in the British Open Beat Barry Hawkins In that tournament Playing as a top up So he's in actually Quite a strong position To, to come back on the tour um, But it's important to, to air these things Because the, the only way You can remove stigma From something Is to discuss it And certainly It's true for men you know, these things historically are not talked about. It's all about kind of, oh, get over it, you know, man up and all that stuff. And and, and he actually says himself, Stephen, one of his friends actually took their own life. Um, so he knows firsthand that if these issues are bottled up, something very bad can happen. The number one killer of men under 50 in Britain is suicide. So, you know, these are very serious issues. So credit for him to talk for speaking out. And hopefully anyone who's read that they sort of see the signs in themselves will we'll do what he did and, and try and seek help and get through it and hopefully Stephen going forward you know will be in a better place um so that that's kind of the uh the preamble if you like now if you're wondering uh how to get my attention with an email okay well you, the, the key to it I think is to do what Richard Richard Adamphy did this is the headline on his email. Mark Williams' break-off in Lovejoy TV show 1986. Oh, like a moth to a flame with this, I was. So uh, I should t- t- say for anyone who's under the age of, uh, well, 50, uh, Lovejoy <laughs> was a TV drama, comedy drama, I suppose, um, about an, an... Ian McShane, fine actor, played Lovejoy. He was an antique dealer who was also sort of solved crimes. Um, you know, it was the 80s. But, of course, being the 80s, snooker was everywhere, and they had to acknowledge it. So this is Richard's email. This this is this is. There's a lot in this, um, I have to say, and and um, we don't have email of the week, but this might win it. He said, I've been watching old episodes of the popular 80s, 90s BBC One comedy drama Lovejoy. <laughs> Some people just waste their lives. Anyway, he says, uh, in the episode Death and, Death and Venice, part one, originally aired on the 7th of March 1986. So this was uh, a couple of months before Joe Johnson, of course, became world champion. He says, that's my, i put that in, it's not in the original email. He says, uh, Lovejoy and potential love interest Lady Jane, although spoiler, they never actually ended up in a relationship, are playing a frame of snooker. I was amazed to see Lovejoy break using the Mark Williams break-off. Also, The Colour of Mary, <laughs> originally aired 31st of January 1993, it was a whole episode about snooker. The bad-tempered character, Murray McNally, was obviously based on Alex Higgins. He's described as the people's champion, and he even talks about his rivalry with Steve. Dennis Taylor is in the episode as himself, playing an exhibition with McNally. There's a lot of process here, uh, but here's the thing, okay, so obviously the, the revelation that Lovejoy, um, invented that break-off rather than Mark Williams, but the, 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 the wheel has turned because Mark Williams now has become a thespian. You may have seen this, this uh, comedy series called The Tuckers, and Mark appears, well, as himself, I mean, he's carrying a snooker cube, or, or a case anyway. But the, 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 chap in it doesn't recognise him. Uh, that's the kind of joke. And Mark, uh, well, he uses a rather intemperate, intemperate word at the end of, at the end of the scene he's in. But here's the thing. So, so we've gone from Ian McShane and, and Lovejoy inventing a break-off. Maybe Mark was somehow, um, because he would have been, what, 10 years old when this, when this was transmitted. Maybe that somehow seeped down into him. And being of the acting profession now, um, he's taken that on board. Uh, but anyway, Lovejoy, As it turned out invented that break off shot Now uh, of course we had the Hong Kong Masters recently A fine event that And uh, Monica has written in Monica L Sawidi. Firstly thank you for an excellent podcast Your hard work is much appreciated, and I do look forward to my alert every week. That possibly was meant for Mark Kermode, I don't know. Anyway, I know I do that joke every week, and it's wearing very thin. But anyway, thank you, Monica, and uh, let's continue. Uh, However, I was disappointed that in last week's episode, you did not congratulate Ronnie on his win, not once in the episode. Although I'm in full agreement, Marco Fu's performance was excellent return, thrilling 147, and so special in front of his home crowd, Ronnie's win, comeback against Neil, excellent play throughout, Gripping final in the end, and what a break to finish it off. He showcased the sport at its best in front of 9,000 spectators. He should be congratulated. We won't have him forever, and he's still performing like this. We're very lucky. Well, Monica, I, far be it from me to uh, to say you're wrong, but you're wrong. I did congratulate him at the start. I, I, I Specifically, I've listened back, okay, so I've made sure that I'm telling the truth here. I specifically congratulated the three winners of the three events. So the, the doubles, Neil Robertson and Mink Nutsheret. Uh, Ryan Day for the British Open and Ronnie O'Sullivan for the Hong Kong Masters I've congratulated all of them actually so uh, maybe I, sh- I should have been more uh, fulsome what I do find with with I'm mean, guessing you're a big Ronnie O'Sullivan fan I do find that t- with some of them kind of it's almost like n- you can never be praiseworthy enough but the fact is and I commentated on the final um, I thought his performance everything you've said is true he, he absolutely showcased the sport brilliantly and spoke well, and, but I did, let the record show, I did actually say congratulations last week, uh, Stuart May, now this is a very interesting email, I think, it doesn't involve love joy, but it's, it's, it's a current issue, so Stuart writes, uh, I'm an avid listener to your weekly podcast, and thoroughly look forward to each new edition that's released, uh, well, I'm going to read this out because he's written it. He said, I also listen to other snooker podcasts from time to time. However, yours is the most enjoyable and thought-provoking. Yeah, take that, Metcalf. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I, sorry, I've been rather... You see, the first day of the tournament, I'm in rather a uh, spirited mood. Anyway, uh, he says, I've heard many opinions as to the venue that the World Championships would be best held at. And in my personal opinion, I sincerely hope it never leaves the crucible in my lifetime. One thing I've never heard being discussed is the dates that the event covers. For UK viewers it makes perfect sense for the start to be on a Saturday and end on a bank holiday so that seven of the days fall on a day when Monday to Friday workers can watch the event on television or even attend. For the upcoming 2023 event at the time of writing it's likely that the 1st of May bank holiday will be moved to the 5th all Monday the 8th of May following the announcement that the King's coronation will be held on Saturday the 6th. Apologies if subsequent announcements deem this not to be the case. This would also have be been the case in 2020 had the event not been moved to August due to the bank holiday, moved to the VE Day that year. This would mean that the final day next year is likely to take place on a normal working Monday. I think I'm right in saying this has never happened before whilst played at the Crucible. There have been some years, especially important VE Day anniversaries, when the event started on the Friday and ended on the Sunday. I'm sure that had the moving of the bank holidays been known enough in advance of 2020, and now possibly 2023, it would have been rescheduled to end on a Sunday. As the sport is becoming increasingly international, would it make sense to schedule the whole event to finish on a Sunday every year and start on a Friday? I personally would also prefer it to be on those dates, as the climax of the semi-finals fall on the Saturday, when other sporting events divide my attention, mainly the 2000 guineas at Newmarket. I know the climax of the semis uh, would then fall on a working day, however the Saturday is probably already in competition with other sports, not just horse racing for viewers. Moving the final day to the Sunday may also attract new viewers in places like the USA, where it would be played during their Sunday morning and afternoon, as opposed to working Monday, as it's currently scheduled. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this issue. Well, Stuart, you lay out the case uh, very well. There, uh, yes, the, the, the King's coronation, as you say, is going to be on Saturday, May sixth, the and there is a move in the UK. Certain members of Parliament, because uh, obviously nothing else happening at the moment, are trying to get the bank either a new bank holiday put in. So either the day before or the Monday. Or move the May Day bank on the 1st, as you say, to the following week. And if that happened, then the World Championship would end on a normal Monday. It's too late to change the dates now. Tickets are on sale or the rest of it. So in that scenario, it would end on a normal Monday. As you say, this, could, this would have happened two years ago had the event not, obviously, through COVID been postponed and played in August. Um, and, and at the time, I remember, Barry Hearn was pretty upset because he had not got, you know, they'd not got the, the heads up that that was going to happen. Here's the thing, okay? There's two things here. One is, is it right that a World Championship should end on a bank holiday in one country? I think you could argue it's not. I think you could argue that with international television sales, um, it's not great for, for example, all the countries, like 60 countries that take the Eurosport coverage. Only one of them, it's a bank holiday. For everyone else, it's a working day. And a lot of people, I guess, are going to miss the Monday afternoon um, coverage. However, there are sporting events, particularly in America, that do sometimes finish on a Monday um, because of, you know, there's certain special days. It's not uh, specific to the UK, but I do get the point. And we are, um, you know, we're quite a parochial sport. I think we do sort of see a lot of things through British eyes. Um, and, you know, obviously the BBC is the host broadcaster, but there's a case definitely, I think, to, to alter that. And it would actually be an opportunity as well because I think, uh, and this, happened I definitely think this happened in 1982. They started on a Friday night. Uh, it was still a 17-day event, so it finished on the Sunday. But it started on a Friday night, not the morning, so it wasn't 10 o'clock. That would be a great opportunity if we started on a Friday night, seven o'clock, live on BBC Two. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a sort of peak time viewing audience, and then what you could have on the Saturday afternoon you would get the finishes now on the Saturday at the World Championship the main BBC slot it's actually BBC One their main slot is the afternoon so they would get the defending champion still the first to finish but finishing in the afternoon rather than at night where often they they don't show it live Uh, or not the whole session anyway so that would be maybe a way of you know kind of being a bit more rather than sort of almost creeping creeping up to people on a Saturday morning, starting off, hitting the ground ring on Friday night. The problem with that, of course, is you're losing two sessions there because you're not starting in the morning, and that means that the two mornings off that that are actually quite welcome on the Thursday and Monday, I guess you would have to play morning sessions. Now, those mornings off, if you work at the Championship, a lot of backstage people, production crew, those are golden, those couple of mornings, because otherwise, you know, the days are really long, but, you know, is it about that or is it about actually, um, you know, delivering a sort of television product? But I think that is an option going forward. Obviously, the, the bank holiday finish is actually quite welcome for uh, television because it's uh, people are at home or, or you know, they might be out. But by the evening, they're kind of at home. Traditionally, Sunday and Monday evenings are the two evenings where TV programs get big audiences because they tend to be the two nights of the week where people are most likely to be in, watching television. Um, So, it may be this comes to a head in the next few years. I suspect the BBC probably quite like the status quo of it finishing on the Monday, but for international audiences, is it fair? The answer is probably not. And there is maybe an opportunity to not change the format in any way in terms of length of matches, but maybe we could start on that Friday night. That might be a bit more exciting. We'll see. I suspect it won't happen, but it's definitely an issue that's worth discussing, yes. Now, Mark Walsh is writing about the mixed doubles. Uh, again, there's praise here, which I'm duty-bound to read out because he's, he's you know, gone to the trouble of writing it. Before I get into the substance, may I thank you for, for such a ceasingly entertaining and informative podcast. I hope you know how much you're appreciated. Well, that's very kind of you, Mark. Uh, he said, whilst I enjoyed the World Mixed Doubles, I agree with the correspondents who found the play a bit bitty and slow. As you say, this is just the nature of doubles. So how about a format change next year to create a team rather than a strictly doubles event. I suggest each match should consist of four frames of singles, followed by a frame of doubles, with each frame continuing to count for a point in the league table. So we'd have the male players playing each other, then the female players, then two male v female matchups, and we'd finish with a frame of doubles during the singles the non-playing players could stay in the arena to encourage their partners. I think this would give us more fluent snooker for most of the match, spark even more interest, we'd get heavyweight contests between the best of both, uh best of the best for both sexes, then the still too rare spectacle of women playing men in televised singles. The doubles frame would have a novelty value and would act as the decider where scores were level. I always think slow and bitty plays much more welcome when accompanied by the tension of a decider. The whole thing would have more of a team feel and would raise the profile of the female players who would be fully centre stage and not the perceived junior partners. I don't even think it would take longer as four frames of singles would probably be no longer than the three frames of doubles they would replace. Well, that's Mark Walsh. It's not, you know, that's. It's actually a good idea for an event. That I don't. I suspect what will happen next year is they'll keep the format as it is because it is a doubles event. Um, so to have singles play in a doubles event obviously would seem strange. However, your that as a template for an event that you've described there, I think that would definitely be a watchable event. It's just not this event, maybe. Um, but you know, we have now and again people coming up with new formats. They're not always sort of uh, going to work but that one I think would but I just don't think I don't think they will change the format now because it's established as a doubles tournament so to have a singles have singles matches I suspect they would feel um it just, just doesn't work but as a, maybe as a separate event that could work um but it's nothing wrong with the idea uh as I say I just don't think at this stage I mean we've only had one staging of the event uh, so I suspect they will continue with the, with the format, uh, as, as has been already, already witnessed. Now, our dear friend Jarrow Warman from uh, Duluth in Minnesota, he said, as I said in my earlier email, Mark Selby has always been my favourite player. What's been dismaying to me over the years has been the fates of my second favourite players have all left the game for various reasons. Now, some names here, by the way. Uh, these are the names he's come up with. Joel Walker, England, Reese Clark, Clark, Scotland, and Adita Mater, India. Has anyone heard what may have caused him to leave the game? My second favourite player currently is Zhao Xing Tong, who I doubt, who I doubt I've cursed be there for. Uh, well, he's doing pretty well, Zhao. But anyway, yes. I mean, Joel Walker. He was. Um, I have a, a dim memory that he, that Ronnie O'Sullivan ran a kind of Rising Stars event. I think with Riley, and I think he was the winner of it one year. Um, from Sheffield, good player. He had some good results. Um, Maybe he got to a quarter-final along the way somewhere. I'm going to say Welsh Open. People can correct me on that. But, yeah, he he kind of disappeared. I guess the problem is, you know, you can't sort of... I suppose you have to be realistic. He's a talented player, but at some point, I guess he's got to earn a living, um, Joel Walker. He's 28 now, just looked up his age. So, maybe at some point he felt, well, this isn't kind of working out for me. He's not played <clears throat> since... Well, he entered the Q School... 2018, didn't get through So he's not really been seen since then I, I don't know specifically what he's doing now But uh, it, it appears he's, he's, he's sort of drifted away I'm going to check what their quarterfinal was Yeah, 2014 Welsh Open there So, uh, yes, well <laughs> well done me um, Rhys Clark, yeah, another player who You know, again, kind of showed some form here and there And, and had a couple of good results He's not played since the 2019 World Championship Um I'm not sure if he was on the tour then, or he has been on the tour, but I'm not sure if he was playing as a top up maybe. But anyway, he's not been seen uh, for three years. If anyone knows where these players are, let us know. Adita Mater, um I don't know whether with him it's maybe the uh the sort of travelling, obviously being from India, it would be more costly to keep coming over. He was a I thought he was a lovely player actually. He was in a ranking final in the first uh, Indian Open final. Um, had a lot of promise. But you know, here's the thing these days you can be a really, really, really good player and still only get to about 50 in the world. And there's no shame in that. You can be really, you know, you've seen the qualifiers that pump pumping in centuries, but actually not really making much progress. It's very, very competitive now in the middle ranks. So I think it's harder than ever to break through because you're playing really good players in those qualifiers. And obviously with the tiered system, you can play Ronnie O'Sullivan or Judd Trump in round one of a ranking event. So it's very tough to come through. Those players you've named, they're all very talented, but only so many people can win, obviously. And, uh, you know, it's it's very tough and, and, and you need really to be, well, to make a really spectacular breakthrough, you've got to kind of really get through to the latter stages of tournaments regularly and that's very, very difficult. Um, I did say it'd be a short podcast. We're going to end with Tommy O'Prey, who He's been watching the 900, this series on Sporty Stuff TV. For Amateur Snooker, he says, I've recently been watching a fair amount of the Snooker Legend 900. I have to say, I'm loving it. It reinforces the standard of players on the professional tours. The amateur standard really is so high. I love Snooker in all formats, but similar to the shootout, this definitely appeals to a less dedicated audience. And is a brilliant opportunity to showcase some of our future champions. I say a huge well done to everyone involved. I would be interested to hear your own views and that of the, of the listeners. Thanks again for all your ongoing hard work with the podcast. It really is a highlight of my week. Tommy O'Pray there. Thank you, Tommy. Well, uh, yes, yeah, so I, I I mean, I, I can't, I can't say I've watched every minute of it because that wouldn't be true. I find I, I don't think I've ever got to the end of the program just because it's just really late. It's ten till one in the morning, you know, it's, it's quite late. Um, but I was interested to see David Taylor this week, the Silver Fox, seventy-nine years of age. He won his first match, um, which was, was terrific actually. Um, it's a great opportunity for amateur players. I mean, the top prize is ten thousand pounds, so that speaks for itself. But not only that, they get to play on television. And they get to keep their enthusiasm up. They've got something to play for. Um, And you don't only have one match in it, I don't think, do you? You you play... I think I'm right in saying you play at least two. um, Or certainly players on the Monday anyway do. Um, So, uh, yeah, it it, it seems to have been quite a hit. I I think anecdotally I've heard that it's already got... I mean, Sporty Stuff TV, it's not BBC One, I know, but it's already got them their biggest ever figures. So clearly people are watching... Um, I actually think the time slot is good in terms of kind of everything. By 10 o'clock at night, pretty much everything else has kind of stopped. Most of the sport, apart from obviously, you know, other parts of the world outside the UK. But basically, I know racing goes on overseas, but basically it's kind of the only sport on really then, live sport, most days. So they kind of got it to themselves. Now, how they'll do this week, obviously the Sluka been on Eurosport, it's going to gonna be an overlap. As there was with ITV, the British Open. It's going to be more difficult to get an audience, maybe. But I think, again, I've said this before, Jason Francis, who runs it, he's one of these people who, there's a lot of people who say they're going to do stuff, don't always follow through. He has always followed through. Whenever he said he's going to start something, he's done it. And I think you have to respect that. And he's, the amateur players seem to really enjoy, uh, playing in it as well. So, uh, yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely terrific. And, uh, uh, yeah, long may it continue. It seems to be seems to be successful. I did say that'd be the last email, but um, we've got here one more now. I, I, the irony here is this is about pronunciations, and I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce this person's name. Uh, I'm going to say Ina, okay? I'm going to say Ina. If it's not pronounced that way, then apologies from Ireland. Uh, anyway. Um, and this is about pronunciations. And Ina says, uh, just to say, at the end of the last podcast, how to pronounce Strawn. Now, this is a, uh, an email last week from David Burney in Canada about uh, whether it's Strachan or Strawn. Um, and uh, Ina makes the point here, what about Gordon Strachan, a <laughs> footballer? Well, of course, yes, Strawn, it's a, it's a Gloucester um, company. Now, what difference that makes, I don't know. But anyway, where did Strawn come from? Do the table-based manufacturers call themselves that? Well, that's what it's called. I, I can't, <laughs> I can't vouch for why, but it's called Strawn. Uh, I do smile, Ina continues, when I see these English pronunciations, like a guy I work with from England, surnamed Warburton. I was calling him Warburton, but no, the stress is on the first syllable. The anglicisation of Irish words and place names, they're modern English post 1850 with none of all this middle old English heritage. You see it, you say it. We in Ireland have sentence constructions that are one-for-one translations of the Irish form. But we would always say Strachan, as Gordon would have. I get the feeling this debate, uh, thank you for your email, I get the feeling this debate may run and run. But it is strong. Now, you know, I don't know why, (laughs) but it just is. Um, So there we are. We haven't really solved anything there, but we've got through it. And uh, we're looking back next week at the tournament. Uh, Of course, it's the last counting event for the Northern Ireland Open now Mark Selby is in because there's 14 qualified players and he would get in off the rankings um, if uh, regardless now he, I mean he could win in Belfast this week but he couldn't be in whatever so if there isn't a repeat winner of the Northern Ireland Open someone already qualified for the Champion of Champions then Mark Williams will take the last place so obviously he has got a lot of interest uh, in 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 this tournament of course he could win it himself former winner uh, but anyway, uh enjoy the week, it's live on various platforms Eurosport, Discovery Plus Quest, which is a free-to-air uh, channel um, in the UK I noticed there's Eurosport Indian, which goes out in Pakistan as well I believe So uh, there's various other platforms, Matchroom Live I'm sure is involved there But uh, wherever you are in the world, uh, enjoy it By the way, I should have said at the start, hello Tunisia uh, we, were, we were riding high in the Tunisian charts this week, we were at number 4 in Tunisia um, so thank you to everyone there, and wherever you're listening, we do have listeners uh, in, in various parts of the world. And uh, it, it's a reminder, actually, as I said earlier, you know we can be very parochial because it is a British based. It's a world sport, yes, but it's British based largely. Um And uh, you know we should be more, a little bit more, sort of. um Well, we should recognise more that you know that there are people all around the world trying to follow this sport. And so when we talk about ITV, BBC, and so on. It actually means nothing to them because they're watching on different platforms. Uh, and uh, but I'm interested actually to hear if anyone wants to tell us actually where, how you are watching it, what platform you're watching it on, what's the coverage like. Um, yeah, that'd be interesting to hear from wherever you are around the world. You can email us podcast at mail dot com. That's podcast at mail dot com. We're proud members of the Sports Social Network. Check out their other podcasts. Uh, in the meantime, that's it for this week. A short edition. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, I think. Uh, we powered through the, the key points. Let, let's just reflect on what they were. Lovejoy invented the Mark Williams break-off shot. There's controversy over whether it's Strawn or Strack, and that's going to rage on, I think. Uh, the World Championship dates was another one, um, and uh, the new doubles idea as well. So, you know, there's a, something for everyone there. Uh, but that's it <laughs> for this week. So, uh, as we always say, until next week, goodbye-bye. <laughs> That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, only completed by 80 plus terms and conditions apply, see website for details.